When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflow and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Dubai. Oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete. A little bit of a quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last night's AEW Dynamite. Sidge, what did you make of the show? Another tremendous offering from a company on fire. Um, I said, what did I say on the preview yesterday, Wilborn? MGF is going to, at some point, very soon, mm-hmm. stop making the jokes, and it's going to take a more serious turn. Not only did that kind of happen, but we got the tease of what he's going to do, which keeps you on the hook, which is what MGF is fantastic at. So, yes, things are progressing nicely. There were some really nice uh, teasers in the direction of what Hangman Page is going to do next. There's so many awesome stuff on offer, potentially. So it teased the trifecta Mm. of matches, promos, and angles, where this episode was more in-ring focused. But, again, it's fine. You know the real meaty storyline stuff is imminent, pretty much. Um, so it wasn't one of the all-time great dynamites for me because, yeah, it was more in-ring focused. Mm-hmm. And it's fairly easy if you're Tony Khan and you have access to all of these <laughs> brilliant wrestlers and you allow them to express yourself and just say, look, the match you're dying to have and you've been desperate to have for however many years, go and have it and have 18 bloody minutes while you're at it. Like, anyone can kind of do that. So this was not the most impressive AEW show, but it was certainly an exhilarating one at its best. Yeah, really, really good stuff. This, to me, was one of those episodes that marked the difference between where AEW is at right now versus where it was through a lot of late 2022. As Cedric points out, the matches are kind of always going to be there. The cool matchmaking isn't. Tony Khan always deserves credit when he He's does He's very that. inspired. Yeah, when he does that graphic drop that just pops you instantly, that's, you know, that's where he deserves credit for using the roster well. But I just think even when the good matches were taking place, and AEW remains this great match factory that it probably goes underrated for, truthfully. That was still the case in 2022 when it didn't feel like enough of the main stories were really driving forward or were that creative or were just keeping you invested, truthfully. And that, to me, was the stark difference between those Dynamites and this one because this Dynamite did lack that incredible, memorable moment that you're going to reflect on months from now. But it just had loads of cool stuff you're interested in, and that's always been enough. The fact that AEW, and like, to be fair, any wrestling, when it's great, can ascend to those heights is kind of what you watch for. That's the dragon you're ultimately always chasing. But it cannot do that every single week. It's just so much nicer when the company is on such a roll that you get these episodes. This would have been what we would have once classed as like more of a functional week. And yet the drama behind the big stories is so great that it felt so much more than that. Mm. 
Uh, let's dive straight into it then, um, because the show opened with a match for the All-Atlantic title. Uh, but prior to that, there was a, a graphic on the screen for the late Jay Briscoe. Of course, awful news about his passing yesterday. Uh, and uh, after Dynamite, they taped a very special Jay Briscoe Celebration of Life show uh, that will be popping up for free on uh, Ring of Honor's Honor Club platform, which I thought was a lovely touch. I don't know when the right time to talk about this is. Um, and I don't know if it's today. So I, like, I don't want to get too into the weeds of it. But other people have. Dave Meltzer's out there doing it. Um, I think I saw online uh, John Pollock and Waiting might have done. There's various people in the media space talking about this today, so I think it's worthwhile bringing it up now. Uh, we can only assume, based on the fact that you couldn't even have the Briscoes cut that pre-FDR promo without it being through the guns last Christmas, that this Warner Brothers discovery thing was a brick wall. That it appears that it was that way, and I wonder if that's extended to this, and I genuinely hope that some good conversations can come off the back of this really positive mm. ones there's already been a lot of deep dive discussions and there's like great interviews the likes of Ian Riccoboni kicking around about the work the genuine work that Jay Briscoe specifically did in relation to his awful homophobic comments mm. and changing with the times that were changing around him that he maybe wasn't ready for and not ju- everybody said horrible things in their life everybody has said horrible things and too often people say horrible things and it goes completely unchecked people do horrible things and it goes unchecked this dynamite promoted Dana White's slap fight as an example of the horrible things people do that mm. go unchecked. Um, I don't know. It made me feel like there's this is a great opportunity for people to talk about, right, what is really doing the work if you've said or done things that you're ashamed of versus just waving it away? You know, you've got Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair return to Raw as another example of stuff that ultimately just goes unchecked and forgotten mm. about. I think the network have potentially shown their arses here. Um, and it just it just made me. I think there's like lots of positive chat that will come in one of Jay, one of the many things that will like Jay Briscoe will leave a legacy over, not just from wrestling. Is that somebody made a lot of positive change and has a bunch of people advocating for it as well. It's not just one person saying I was pretty good actually. A ton of people from across the spectrum, and I, this is it. I'm like the straight white male <laughs> with no real. Like, I've probably not got a voice. There needs to be other people from the communities that he deeply hurt and affected to speak up. But plenty within wrestling did, like also of that community. And I don't know, something felt a little bit off that presumably the brick wall remained up and that's why we got nothing more than a still graphic and a post-Dynamite tribute. Yes. It, it felt a bit... That, that's not me going for AEW. That's absolutely me going for people like that control AEW ultimately. And I just... It, I you, felt a bit sad. If you contrast the Brodie Lee celebration of life with the reports that it was always Warner who blocked... Briscoes mm-hmm. and prevented them from appearing on AEW programming. You can draw your own conclusions. Yeah. I certainly have drawn my own conclusions. I'm rather less optimistic than Hamlet about this changing anything. Ultimately, Jay Briscoe um, has kind of, again, I said this on the preview yesterday, but I think that was a collective realization of we've lost someone, not just under like ridiculously tragic, horrible circumstances, but an all timer in his field, certainly. And that might be limiting the scope of how great he was. Um, that being said, he was still in a promotion that was only really hot on a cult level. Um, and that was sort of his ceiling as a star in this industry. If it's someone of the magnitude and the visibility and the drawing prowess of a Flair or a Hogan, doesn't matter what they do because they were bigger stars. That is the cold, hard mm. reality of it. It's horrible. Dana White is a star who's going to make Warner significant sums of money with this slap league, if all goes well. So that's why that's why he's allowed to do it. And that's the cold, hard, like genuinely awful truth of it. And I don't think that's going to change. I've been around too long. Uh, 
So at the start of Dynamite was, yeah, the All-Atlantic Championship match. Orange Cassidy defending against Golden Globe winner Jay Lethal. Uh, decided not to bring it to ringside with him this week. Um, and Jeff Jarrett, Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt um, were told that if they interfere in this match, Sanjay Dutt will lose his job. So instead they uh, splashed out on front row seats. I would have, if I was in that crowd... The way that Jeff Jarrett walked down those steps with guitar aloft, I'd have squealed in his presence. <laughs> he looked incredible. Like, what, like old-fashioned Carney Memphis heel Jeff taking that moment. Like, he just chewed the scenery. Yeah. Thousands of people there, and he just got his guitar in the air, <laughs> scowling at everybody Out of around. the way. Yeah. Um, Cassidy gets sent to the floor, um, and Sanjay Dutt is trying everything throughout this match for once to make sure his boys don't actually interfere in the match. He's holding Jarrett back from interfering. Danhausen shows up dressed as a security guard to check their tickets, and then here come the best friends with a, uh, some drinks and popcorn, uh, and all this distracts Lethal and uh, allows Cassidy to take over with a dive. Danhausen then just jumps the rail and stands ringside as Lethal takes back over on Cassidy, chucking him into the ring post. He does the Fargo strut to uh, the joy of uh, three people at ringside. <laughs> And uh, goes up top for a top rope elbow, but Cassidy keeps doing that thing where he just rolls far enough away that uh, Jay Lethal can't hit a uh, top rope elbow. Eventually, uh, Cassidy gets sent to the apron um, and nails Jay Lethal into the into the corner turnbuckle, hits him with a top rope crossbody, nails a stun dog wheel, you know, and a spinning DDT, but that just gets a two count. Goes up top, misses a DDT, Lethal counters into a lethal combination and lethal injection, but Cassidy rolls to the outside as Jay Lethal reaches after him. I love that spot. Um, at ringside, Chuck Taylor chucks his popcorn all over Sanjay Dutt, um, so that distracts the referee, and Jeff Jarrett tries to hand his guitar to Jay Lethal, but Danhausen intercepts and gives us a quick rendition of Wonderwall or something on it. Uh, Lethal gets rolled up back in the ring. Um, Cassidy pops up and uh, hits an orange punch off the back of that and gets the one, two, three. Post-match, the giant Satnam Singh jumps in to attack the best friends, but Dutt is panicking because he thinks, lay your hands on anyone, I'm losing my job. Same goes for Jarrett, who sets up for a guitar shot. Dutt stops it, uh, and Cassidy does some of his trademark kicks as Dutt and his boys turn tail and get out of there. I admire the intent of putting this first. I would have potentially swapped this and the Top Flight and Bucks match around. Mm. I think it was quite the tonal shift to go from the day that everyone kind of endured yesterday straight into this like, really, really silly comedy. Um, I would have liked to have watched some just really great professional wrestling first, then realized, right, okay, people are in a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, they're in a defiant spirit. They're going to try and work through this horrendous circumstance regardless because that's what they do. Mm -hmm. And then strike a note of levity after that. Uh, I think it was just a bit jarring, yeah. personally. But for what it was in isolation... Some of this was really funny. Yeah. Like the match was like improbably really like witty and like a nice little bit of chess. Um, the idea of Jeff Jarrett, who if you apply head cannon, he was presumably recommended in his backstage role by Sanjay Dutt, who was in the room and he's an agent. Oh, you know, I've got Jeff, I've got Jeff. And Jeff like just crawls in through the cat flap like the <laughs> corny that he is, like <laughs> slithering through it like the corny worm that he is. Um I love the idea that he's just willing to sell Sanjay Dutt out. The guy who got him in, the guy he's mates with, just for, like, petty revenge. Yeah. Like, no, my job's on the line. Don't do it. He's like, well, I don't really care about you. It's all about Double J, Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> so that was a nice note of comedy. Again, I was just... It just took me aback that they went this 
on the nose mm. and broad comedy so early on a show like this. Um, but no, it was a daft bit of fun that I eventually warmed to. So I love the match, but I actually disagree with that take. I think they got this bang right. What I took from this was, because I understand the point about like you just have the wrestling almost as a way to be like, right, the wrestling is here. And yes, some of it needs to be kept light tonight on a very dark day. So like, here's a perfect example of mm. how to keep it light. I thought the reason this was so perfect wasn't there that there was a sort of jarring tonal shift between, say, the tribute at the start to so a bit of daft wrestling comedy. I think they wanted to put, in a way that they weren't allowed to by the network, similar to Brody Lee, they wanted to put Jay Briscoe on a pedestal, and you can't do that without a build-up to it. I thought this was the run-up to the match. The tag match was going to be the kind of celebration of Jay Briscoe wrapped in the middle of a tag match, and they gave you a... Walk up to it with the form of some light relief. I'd, I didn't felt I felt quite sad going into the show, and then this cheered me up a little bit as it was designed to do. Ahead of right, let's get into the meat of like we can all love this young bucks match, and then also feel a lot of like conflicting emotions with it. And I thought this put Jay Briscoe on a higher platform as a result. It was kind of as a bridge between the two for me. Mm. So I thought it was like super effective as an opener, and I did love it for all the reasons you, you were kind of like. Engineered to adore it as well, like as a, as a piece of business. Like Tony Khan, we always thank him for the subscriber. We know he listens. Mm. Like, I mean, he's come up. He's four years of listening to Hamlet, bitch and moan about the best friends. If I put them with Jeff Jarrett, will he finally stop moaning? Yeah, because like <laughs> I'm, I'm bang into this. Like, I think they're the perfect contrast and stables for a lot of fun as well. And I like all of this worked in the exact way you would imagine all of it would between these professionals. So I I preferred it as the opener. In truth, I thought I it get did that. actually. And I'm not saying it was insensitive of them to no, do this. No, certainly not. No. Certainly not saying anything like that. Just in case anyone misinterprets my critique, it's just out of light to have been slowly welcomed into a wrestling show and then had this sort of mood. Uh, that was followed uh, by the Young Bucks versus Top Flight. In the interim, there was a video setting up the TNT Championship match between Darby Allen and Kushida, which was useful because I didn't know who Kushida was um, uh, until they did that. And I wasn't going to Google it and find out. How do you do that? Well, how this joke still works, even though he's been on NXT <laughs> since 2019. Oh, the jacket time guy. Now I get it. It's, um, it's, this has become such an awful bad faith take that it's almost easy to skip past that like AEW deserve praise for not booking these dynamite space on those bloody quarter hour graphic like graphs that we've seen. Mm. This is how you book wrestlers on a wrestling show, not to the panicked quarter hour, oh God, somebody might switch over. This feels like art for the art rather than for the stats yeah. at the end. Uh, yeah, Young Bucks versus Top Flight. Uh, I'm going to do this in a weird order because I'm going to otherwise forget to mention this to you, Sige. This was obviously incredibly... Uh, High-flying, great athleticism, and a showcase that uh, the Young Bucks getting on a bit now, aren't they? Oh, my God. <laughs> this was absolutely great. Am I going to about this bit now? Talk about it now, because otherwise I might get confused or distracted or we'll talk about something else. So at the very start of the match, they are flexing, they are just trying to work one another out, and they are reversing holds because they're all very fresh, and they do the spot where they are wrist-locking and flipping out of all that kind of stuff. And then they do the double down, and they're going to do a double kip-up to convey, right, this is even Stevens, we're going to have a competitive match. It's like a tone-setting move that you often see in wrestling, except because the Young Bucks are so incredible that Nick Jackson does it a full second later on purpose than Dante Martin, who walks over to him, does the whole tapping on the, uh, tapping on the watch mm. gesture as if to say, I'm so much younger and faster than you, and you've got to keep up with me now, old man. The idea that Nick Jackson, the sacrilegious spot monkey, has <laughs> completely broken what it means to be a professional wrestler with his warp speed, meta, no-selling stuff, is now an old man. And 
Nick Jackson's selling here, right? Selling isn't just clutching a limb. It's conveying the mood. It's getting people to feel something. People don't know what a melted driver feels like, but people know what it's like to be patronized. <laughs> and it's so unbelievably <laughs> f***ing infuriated when someone just patronizes you and says, oh, have you done this? Or can you do this? Or pats you on the head. Pats you on the head and stuff like that. And oh, it just boils my piss. People feel that. This is the Young Bucks selling and telling realistic stories and doing a very subtle story beat in any other promotion, right? They would hammer this story beat, drill it into your stupid, <laughs> feeble brains with a tell, don't show. Any other promotion, I'm thinking of one in particular, I think you can guess what it is, New Japan. Mm -hmm. would say, would have, would script Dante Martin to say over and over again, like a key word, like Edge saying great. Oh, giving away which promotion I'm talking about. Edge saying grit. Oh, it should have been me. The same story beat told and not shown time and time and time again. So you thick morons get it. In like a flash, they tell the story through the language and vehicle of professional wrestling. And it's just glorious. And Nick Jackson sold. I'm, I'm in the young books. I'm faster than you, <laughs> dickhead. Perfectly well. I love this spot. It's exactly what I want out of AEW. Sophisticated show-don't-tell storytelling, proving that it actually can be done in the context of a wrestling match and not a fucking show-opening promo. It's um, so good. Best bit of the match for me, and obviously it got more electrifying and perfectly timed and dramatic from there, but I just love this bit so much. It's so funny, like, as a kind of... Meta, meta, nod to that as well. Like that wrestler circle of life where all of them in the end, even the young books can reach the point. Like I'm assuming they're not saying that, but you can now imagine because you've well, seen This is the start of the legacy feud where they kind of take over yeah. their role. You imagine like them now being the ones backstage, like the young books saying like, come on, slow it down, kid. Yeah, You're yeah. doing too much out there. Like every wrestler gets there in the end. They like will, that's so they funny. They will absolutely play with that later yeah. in their careers as well. They absolutely will use that. To maybe something to watch out for on being the elite going yeah. forward. Well, yeah, me and Sage had a very, considering this specific topic, had a very civilized discussion about this match this morning uh, because we just bitch each other about a disagreement about the trios and the elite <laughs> in general in trios. But I think we, like, I'd like to think we both came to a similar conclusion about this this morning. And it was based on this spot we were talking about because we talk about other deaths and we love the wrestling, we're nerds. Um, there is something to be said about like the intricacy of what they do in tag matches that I've, I personally, I like Sid just found loads more stuff in the trios matches than I have, but like that I've missed a little bit. It's Kenny in the singles. It's the young bucks in the tags. It did sort of stand out to me here. I like, I felt I was like, yeah, the young bucks are absolutely fucking class, like brilliant. And I felt it more here than I had. commentary about when the match, the last match they had was. July, I think it was like was Fighter like, Fest maybe as a tag. Yeah. Because it's been trios. And yeah. it does, this is the third one they've done so far. It does feel different. Like the trios belts do create a different vibe. And like, sometimes I just know I sound like I'm bitching, but like that, this tag match was, I think, a really good example of that. It's like it's hard to explain the difference. I'm not a wrestler either, so it's very much just what I'm feeling as a fan. But they threw stuff in here that I've not seen in any of the best of seven, maybe apart from the first one, when you didn't know it was going to be a best of seven. Like they did do it in the Dark Order match, so I know it can be done. That's I the do thing, know. The Dark like, Order match was top tier elite storytelling for me, particularly with the history they have with Hangman Page. And you know, I've written extensively about how great that was. And there was interplay between Omega in Osprey in the semi-final, or was it the the Dynamite final? Oh, well, yeah. Call it that. <laughs> that was stuff Dynamite that was bracket. elite tier thinking in that match. 
But as much as I love best of seven, like there were times throughout that series where they were kind of operating on autopilot. Mm. Their autopilot is beyond exhilarating, <laughs> but this is like God tier show don't tell storytelling. We got more of it here than we did in the best of seven, I think. Yeah, if the Young Bucks ever decide to launch an airline, I'm not going on their their flights for the moment they put autopilot on. (laughs) Jesus Christ! Okay, let's get that back to the match. Um, uh, Nick Jackson in the match. uh, It's probably to make up for the fact that uh, he's been shown up here. Here's a double stomp on Darius and rolls through and hits a backstabber on Dante. Martin takes to a break. When we come back, the Bucks are in control, uh, but Dante finally makes a comeback, rolls through a double arm drag, hits a head scissors on Matt and brings in Darius for a wild run uh, after the hot tag. Standing Spanish fly on Matt, uh, dives out to the floor on Nick. Uh, Darius uh, also hit a top rope crossbody on Matt for a near fall. Um, there's a load of blind tags, an attempt at a Meltzer driver. Top flight hit a slingshot flatliner, uh, dive to the floor, powerbomb, nosedive, combat thing. Nick dives in to break it up. He hits a face buster on uh, Darius, a moonsault onto Dante outside, and then back in to a destroyer on Darius for a near fall. Uh, Matt Jackson, lovely uh, touch, kisses the Briscoe armband, uh, and they hit a Briscoe-esque doomsday device, but Dante breaks it up, sends both books outside, goes for his no-hand springboard dive, but jumps straight into double super kicks. The books go for the BTE trigger on Darius, who ducks, and they clash knees, and Darius rolls up Matt to stun the young books and get the win for top flight. Take a step back, look at the big picture, don't be a goldfish, consider recent weeks and the performance level of top flight all the way back into that... uh, a battle royal and a sort of that nice little um, diversion subplot with the BCC and how it leads to this moment. And when they, uh, the whole story of the match, which was thrillingly worked and like really tight in its execution because Top Flight are really close to being like that unit that doesn't feel like they're really green yet. Like they were get they were like I was watching them getting seasoned or seasoning themselves before my very eyes over the past month. So when they did. Wilborn ah. sat next to me. It's just did a he just uh, salt bait himself. He's just salt bait himself. Yeah. I said seasoning. Why not this podcast film? <laughs> anyway, you've made us lose my train of thought, you asshole. Anyway, they were seasoning themselves. I think that's what you're up to. Top flight are almost angrily stubborn in how great they are at the moment. Yeah. Aren't they? they're like they seem to be like forcing themselves into the conversation. You're just watching an act come together, in like, as if like the injury setbacks they'd be like well we're just going to no sell then like yeah, we're, yeah. we're pissed off that we lost maybe like two years of doing this yeah they've really started to put everything together it's thrilling and very rewarding to watch and it felt like go on you're going to do this mm. like the whole story of the match was encouraging you with like the last second saves which were perfectly done their moments on the ascendancy which were just exhilarating the perfect timing of the apron leg swipes and the saves where you thought, oh, you are so close because you're timing everything perfectly. That's how I know how close you are. And it just felt like when they finally got that pinning combination at the end, you've earned this one. Mm. I'm not being told, I invest in this act because we're telling you to. It's like, no, I wanted to invest in that act. Their work has been asking me to invest in this act. And now this was the perfect time for them to go over. It was the perfect time for them to go over. Was it the perfect time for the Bucks to lose, having just won the trio's titles? That's a separate argument. But they get a pass um, from me for this because clearly they're building to a trio's match. It's the wrong way around to do it. But it's not like wrestler A gets plucked out of nowhere to beat champion. Mm -hmm. 
so that they can have a match. Like they've really done the hard work with um, Top Flight in the preceding month. So I did think it worked on this occasion, but don't take the piss. There's a thing with, I really love this match, love this match. There's a thing with wrestlers where um, you hear it sometimes where a wrestler campaigns and campaigns years sometimes to do a specific story and the promoter's just not as sold on it because they're not the wrestler. They're just not as passionate about this particular thing. The wrestler finally gets to do it and it doesn't always work and then the promoter gets to say, I'll see why I didn't really want you to do it because it was always better in your head than it was on screen. I genuinely think the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega have got that about them being crap. Like, they wanted to do it in 2019 and it really wasn't working as a TV proposition. Mm. They've found a way to get it back and they're doing it now. We saw it with Kenny last summer. After their 2021 run, they've earned this story yeah, they've, now. They've earned the story and it like it feels way more real than it did just because yeah. just because they're taking six months. Oh, I, I get it. We've been off for six months. That's the perfect justification for why we're rusty. But people weren't in the mood to see the elite being rusty when this new promotion has formed on their backs. We are in a very different time now. Kenny with the comeback last year from injury feels so much more lived in and real as a reason to be rusty, as does the just having seven trios matches in a row. Like, this is now a way more logical time for them to be getting their asses kicked on screen a little bit. It's clearly something they want to do. They've got the credit now in the bank. Yeah, like, it's nice to see... That 2021 Young Bucks tag run was legendary for me. I think that's it. I think they're just... They clearly, all three of them, wanted to get back to the story, but it needed to feel way more real within the context of AEW rather than just the, the elite saga. And I think we're here now, and that's great because ordinarily I would probably think the same as Sidge, but like, ugh. Like, we're already doing the loser tag to get trios. You know, I get it after the best of seven, and particularly Escalera. Like, they've definitely done this. This is the time, yeah. And Mm. if, like, in line with Sidge's point about um, AW's so great at this, you are led to think that Young Bucks and Top Flight is nothing more than a graphic dreamt up on a Friday, when really it goes all the way back to Top Flight having that really good run of Battle Battle Royal. That's where it starts. And it's so cool to, like, think one thing about a graphic, then realize something else entirely different in the context of the match. One day people will realize. They've already thought of the uh, the big twist or the big finale of the story. You do, in fact, have to let it play out. <laughs> you have to have the faith that they know the end of the story. It's the same with MJF and Danielson. Mm. People last week were going, oh, you know, low-hanging fruit. Oh, it's a bit light and comedic. It's like they know how it ends. Yeah. Go with it. He booked it yesterday. He's going to make him eat a chicken nugget. <laughs> that's, that's what he's going to do. That's brilliant. Eh? That's really good. I just had a real issue with the selling in this. That was my, my thing. Particularly, Dante Martin limping after the match because I was like, don't be fucking injured again, please. There's <laughs> a bit afterwards, he's limping out and you know, you're just like, okay, what, what are we doing here? Just please, not after that, because we said the other week, was the Rampage match that we said? We were like, oh, cool, Top Flight are going to be tag champs yeah. in the next year or so. Yeah. They just, in, like you say, it was they've always been there or thereabouts. I think they've just, like you say, gone over the top there and this just adds... Ice into the cake. I think AEW have earned, like, they always had done, really. They'd earned Let It Play Out, but I think they just, there needs to be a new one. Like, people are getting tired of stories in advance before they've let it play out. Like, just be tired when you're actually tired. We were all collectively tired of Best Friends and Miro and Kip Sabian. That was like shoot tiredness. Just be tired of a storyline or bored of the development when you're earnestly bored yeah. of it. Don't be bored in advance because you're still kind of broken from a bunch of stories falling away, mm. like in WWE. Like, it's everybody has to get there. Uh, that was followed by the Gun Club coming out, uh, taking credit for uh, all the success that they claimed to have had, yelling, we even gave them our dads. Uh, and they said, that's it. There's going to be no more embarrassment. Cue the acclaimed. They come out and Austin Gunn's like, I'm not having this. Cut their music. We're not doing this. No, no, no. Obviously, the crowd, Fresno, I think they were furious about this. 
what they've paid their money to see. Um, so Max Caster goes, no, actually, cut his mic, hit the music, and he uh, uh, raps about how the guns are worse sons than Hunter Biden, uh, and they aren't bulldogs, they're BSers, but we can't hear all that because it's just been cut out because they're they're actually on the button for the, <laughs> the bleeping stuff here. Uh, a big brawl breaks out. Daddy Ass is furious with all of them, separates them, and says, we need to sit down, we need to hash this out. Two words, Family therapy. To potentially contradict what I've just said about the MGF Danielson feud, where I knew they were going to scale back the comedy and the insults and the sort of call and response, crowd interaction stuff to get to the real serious tone. I think this might be a daft comedy diversion for the acclaimed too many. They're not going to hit the highs of the comedy feud that was the acclaimed versus Jarrett and Lethal, Mm. which was just incredible. Like... Even D- Dave Meltzer was like saying it's so entertaining, and you know he's not the biggest fan of that sort of Nor thing. Nor have they got the workers. Let's be honest. Like I'm not just saying yeah, that as a Jarrett yeah, yeah. guy. Like the guns aren't Jarrett and Lethal uh, either. So I, I just think that look, I'll I think they need to step up the match when it happens because they had a dumpster match and it wasn't even that good. So I don't think they're going to do great guns in a singles match um, in a normal like non stipulation match. Could they shoot do a Daddy ass on a forklift thing. <laughs> that would be that would be incredible. Like that would be absolutely incredible. Um, I tell you what, though, I am intrigued about the direction. This is the first time where you're thinking, right? He is his, he is their dad. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit ridiculous how he's estranged from them, and the tease of well, he kind of does want to reconnect with the sons, obviously, but at the same time, why would you ruin this incredible act with the acclaimed? It's very Vince to do that. So I am intrigued about what happens next, but I do think I would prefer the acclaim to do something a bit more meaty and substantial at this point. Yeah, I think it's just got people asking, like, how lightweight is too lightweight when it comes to the acclaimed? It's like, it is why I'm a bit of a misery with the trios, because they're on the elite and they feel like the big tag belts now they do. And I kind of, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I don't think nobody, nobody backstage is really like, well, bury them then. Because they like, I just think it's a subconscious thing. It's like, you know what, the spotlight is on the elite of the stars. So that's the tag that have been I think the balance has been perfect with those two titles, personally. The acclaimed are massive. Well, the acclaimed are massive, which as a result means they should be in something more massive than this. And it feels like one has taken a step up for the other. It's not going to revolution, is it? You would hope not. You would. This this is the other thing as well. I want to feel like the guns are a TV act that are almost like it's almost like a Trojan horse. They're hiding what the big revolution match is, mm, and we're not going to yeah. see it until it is revealed. The Dax situation could it could be him working a little bit, and they're going to reveal Dax Howard would. Like the, the FTR thing that we were kind of clinging on to might still be the case. We're just not seeing it, and they're going to tie it back to the guns holding that like service for them last week or whatever. Or Daddy Ass switches back to his sons, and we finally get the payoff to the Guns versus Big Show, of course. You're claiming Big Show versus all three Guns. <laughs> I mean, the brief, eh, I'm not against it. This is a me daddy show. <laughs> we worked out hey, they, they did a promo with Captain Insano, didn't they? Yeah. He was on a music way. video yeah, yeah. over Christmas. Located some LTST. Yes. By the way. Imagine him like carrying them on both shoulders like Randy Savage used to do with Liz. Yes. <laughs> we did some, uh, you know, people people think it's just a it's piss taking a, a soundboard. We do genuinely gra- hard grafting work on this podcast. Me and Sige on uh, Monday. Journalism, some idiots would call it. Yeah. Uh, me and Sige on Monday worked out how much Mark Henry gets paid per word. So we did. <laughs> what? So, well, looks like there's been enough talk. It's time for the main event, 13. Yeah. And plus, he always does a Darby Allen. You got attacked 
by Jeff Jarrett last week. Where's your head at? That was it. So it's 27. 27. There or thereabouts. Yeah. That's your median, I think, Henry output of words. <laughs> and what was the number That's when again? he's maxed out, yeah. Um, and so we did very, very basic maths of, we we believe he's on six figures, yeah. right? So he's got to be on six figures. So, so yeah. we just said, let's say he's on $100,000. So and we think he's on more. Yeah. His weekly wage is at least is at least $1,923. Oh, my God. Which means for that 27-word thing that Sid just spelled out there, he gets paid $71.20 a word. Well, <laughs> just come on, I'm going to redo the, the slow-mo thing that we play on, on the Rampage review. Put cash register sound yeah. effects in. We also worked out the Friday one where he did, there was the street fight and they didn't do a back and forth. They just went, looks like they're yeah, yeah. ready to tear each other's heads off. Uh, that went into three figures per word. 1,213, something like that. That does make sense why in the brawl out press scrum, like CM Punk was saying, you know, like you got guys backstage, like we're here to make money. You got guys backstage like Mark Henry and everybody collected went, eh, who else? And now it makes sense. He is making money. Like he needs adding to the my Nash Jarrett tier of how to win this. This is facetious. We know that Mark Henry doesn't yes. just do that. He's an advice guy. He's an advice guy, like coach adjacent, locker room leader he's agent. He's a scout, isn't he? Isn't he as well? He's yeah, yeah, he does things. He does other things. It's just a bloody laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Turn up, guys. Uh, right. Let's, let's do a big show next. <laughs> one match plus one beat down. He's having the time of his life commentating with Daddy Magic, though, and all the clips that I see of him. Yeah. There was a bit I saw. Daddy's having fun. I, I saw... Uh, <laughs> he loves to have fun. I saw uh, a thing on Twitter where it was like, uh, I can't remember who it was. Probably It was Excalibur and someone mm. going into really minute... Oh, it was Taz and Excalibur going into minute de detail, spelling out what was playing out in front of us of what the moves were and how they go together. And then the underneath it was like real commentators. <laughs> it's Big Show going, any idea what that move was? And Daddy Magic going, I don't know, but I'd like to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always about in wrestling who you know rather than what you know or anything. It's so funny, like the longer he's in WWE, it'd be funny if like Cody was like, Paul, we got to get Show back. <laughs> 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 he got him into AEW and he drags him back. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Before we 
go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Uh, right, we go backstage, <laughs> and uh, Renee Paquette is there with Hangman Adam Page. Oh yeah, ask oh me, ask how he's, oh ask how he's, how he's feeling physically. Um, he said he stuck to his word. He knocks Moxley, he knocked Moxley out for what happened to him following their first match. Um, Renee asks him where he goes from here. He says, "I'm gonna have to have some tough conversations, and then uh, I got to go off and mend some uh, fences." And uh, she says, uh, wraps the interview up. Paige is like, how's Mox really feeling? She's like, well, he's been hurt for the last 10 years. So he's John Moxley, basically. Uh, and he goes to ask her another question and then just sort of tails off and says, you know what, never mind. He's going to give you Hamlet, that is, pronouns, pal. Oh, pronoun boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's what Jim... so sad, wasn't he? Like, that's yeah. what Jim Ross, I'm certain, every now and then, Jim Ross, on Rampage, obviously... We we'll go, oh, go on, pronoun boy, when he says he, yeah. when there's like two lads in the ring, right? I'm convinced, right? Because all the other commentators are like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced that Vince McMahon used that nickname to berate him on the 100%. headset. That was his, hey, pronoun boy. <laughs> or in later, oh, fucking pronoun boy. No, there we go, fucking beating pronoun boy. Right. Always, always refer to it as the egg. Always call it the golden egg. Yeah, the golden egg. The rock sounds that golden egg. <laughs> Pronoun boy. <laughs> what was I talking about? Page. Uh, Page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't really. I just. <laughs> I got into a Jim Ross thing and I can't get out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go and then we'll get that decision. The. Elite stuff is obviously there. Like that's the that's the obvious inference, right? He's going to make friends with the elite, and so he should. And that's something that like is deep embedded within AEW, and it's great. It's good that they're going there. I've one minor criticism of this segment before I want to talk. I've already tweeted about this, but there there wasn't a big enough cut gap, whatever, boom mic, something between the interview and them having a random chat. Badly produced, in my opinion. Like you you're worried about that on the previous. Create like, a better yeah. distinction between the interview. The, like she wasn't even holding. You the mic. say that, but that's how it would have been produced in real life. Right? Okay, it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's great. You should have heard him in the background. Yeah, yeah. That's great. We're going to be a great time, about that. And then you just hear him talking off into the. Like, that's really, really great. We're going to have a great show. We're going to be a great. great and then they, then they carry on <laughs> talking. Um, I think. I've, I've speculated on Twitter, and this is exactly where my mind went. So it's just earnest stuff. I got accused of trying to generate some engagement. I only want the good kind. Uh, I think knowing who Renee Paquette is and how in two separate wrestling companies, she's been a big conduit and supporter and ally of CM Punk and Hangman Page, separate from the I want to mend some fences, 
there's a big offence to mend with the elite, isn't there? Mm. And there, you know, the apology being allowed. If if all, all the little bubbling unders that there might be a chance that CM Punk is coming back, what we just saw was an unbelievable detail. By the way, it doesn't even need to go anywhere. It can be the elite. It can be like, ah, oh, did I have one more thing I wanted to say to John? Or who knows what goes on in page? But he's a complex figure. We know that about him. Mm. But I love that as the subtlest of punk teasers. It doesn't even yeah. need. We're not talking to Mercedes Manet thing. It doesn't need to be a thing. Oh, it, yeah. It doesn't. Like AWT uh, something Mercedes, not deliver. Mercedes. Uh, uh, who's Manet. Like, they will find a thing, if it's never punk again, that Paige was referring to in that moment, and it will be awesome. And it will, that character has got so much going on. But what an awesome add-on to an already awesome segment that otherwise, apart from that little cut that I just felt was a bit weird, like, felt completely real. Hype me for the rematch. Hype me for the next six things that Hangman Page is going to be up to. I thought this was sublime. This was sublime. I've remembered what I was talking about, the pronouns. Did he say... Could you tell him, as in, we know who the him is because we've just been talking about Moxley? Or did he say, could you tell? It's I, Forget about it. Yeah. Did he drop a pronoun in there? Because if he didn't, the absence of a pronoun here might be the most exhilarating subtext imaginable. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I'm fairly certain he didn't say, oh, could you also tell him? Or could you tell? No, see, I'm it was supposed to feel like a different thing to the... I, I, that's what I took from it. It was supposed to feel a little bit ambiguous and... That's the exciting mm. thing about it. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. If it was... Oh, my God. Potentially, even if it isn't, this was still magnificent because I had this thing in my head of this really awkward... Mm, how do you feel about beating John Moxley last week? And Hangman Page would go, Gosh! <laughs> gosh! Oh, oh gosh! <laughs> oh, my God! Oh, gosh! I'll do it again. <laughs> gosh! Gosh, you hit a buckshot Larry on John Moxley every goddamn side. You're a thin ice man, buddy. You're a thin ice. I thought that was going to happen. This way of doing it, and this, again, is why I praise this promotion to the hilt. They just do things that you can't conceive of because they are amazing at telling stories. This was so much more naturalistic and believable, and they're just, they're, they're two professionals. That's the thing I lost when I fantasy booked this segment. Got to work together. They've got to work together. You're two professionals. They are two people who are meant to be two of the soundest, nicest people in the organization. Of course, they're not going to let something like this get in the way. So when they, right, cut. No, that wasn't that awkward, was it? Just perfect subtlety to acknowledge the fact that, yes, it probably was awkward, but also that two professionals doing this. You'll never find a more natural conversation on a wrestling TV show <laughs> ever than this. And it's just... What are you going to talk about, Wilborn? Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Uso Jimmy talking about his brother, probably. I'm not going to be a bitch like my brother, Jay Roman. Tell your husband, John Marksley, who you are married to. <laughs> <laughs> Invisible cameraman, come with me to this bridge. That's what you were keen to... Like, I, I was off yesterday. What one bit of wrestling did you need to have me catch up on? Absolutely. They're on a bridge hamlet, and he threw two dimes off it. Cinematic. What could it mean? I love the idea. That, right, okay, well, you made me lose to die, Jack. And you know what that means? I want to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes one way or the other. And people can see it on YouTube, so I'm going to be done in for this. <laughs> anyway. Dropping yeah. NXT references on this podcast is far more alienating to our base of listeners than putting Bandito on television is for the AEW <laughs> listeners. That's how no one talks about NXT. Uh, <laughs> it was a brilliant piece of television, isn't it? Shh. This page in Rene Picard. Oh, it was, was absolutely was tremendous. Rene the Pe most naturalistic dialogue and... 
conversation you'll ever hear on a wrestling TV show. Unbelievable. It's not, it's, a, hot, it's not a hot take, because like everybody said at the time, everybody. Renee Paquette's a brilliant pickup, this company. Like yeah, She's like proven her worth 10 times over. It is the thing I'm second most looking forward to next week, after, of course, what happens with Chase U on uh, NXT. Ricky Starks versus Jake Hager. Adam Wilborn will not apologise for enjoying saga booking for wrestling. Guys, you can enjoy both shows. Uh, Chris Jericho on can you? commentary. <laughs> NXT and SmackDown. <laughs> Hager uh, knocks Starks down and does hat stuff early. Uh, <laughs> you see, the, he's put writing on it now. Has he? Yes, he's a pro wrestling tease, Chris. I like this hat with a yellow arrow next to hat. It, it says, I like this hat. It does say, I like this hat, yeah. Stark's got it on and made it actually look good. Does the uh, rope walk, but as he comes off the top, Hager uh, fights, uh, fights it off and chucks him outside. Uh, Hager blocks a baseball slide, slightly worrying at mo- one moment when Stark's went to sort of slide under, you know, the bit where... Sami Zayn dives through the middle ropes from the outside. He sort of goes to slide, un, slide under the bottom rope and just caught his ankle, I think it was. It looked like he just sort of rolled it. And I was like, uh-oh. Hager just took his head off with a lariat regardless. Controlled during the break. Um, he, when we come back, he's going to powerbomb Starks to the floor through a table that uh, Daddy Manager can cool hand and have set up. But Starks fights them all off. Hits a uh, cro- high crossbody. Hager fights back with a Hager bomb. But he misses that. Starks hits a tornado DDT, DDT and gets a two count. Um, the boys try and run a distraction. Uh, but in the end, Hager runs into one of them and turns around into a huge spear uh, from Ricky Starks for the one, two, three. Post-match, Garcia and Guevara try to hit the ring. But Starks jumps and runs into the crowd instead and just smirks. Starks is getting jericho and I hate it. Like, I, this wasn't even like a disaster of a match or anything. But it was just... It was a boring development in this story that I'm bored by. And it's like, just Ricky Starks is not that character. He's too dynamic and he's too still too fresh and exciting a talent to be feeling like he's getting like, I can feel like the hands coming up, like the Jericho sludge pulling him down. And like, I know that like, Sid is right, by the way, about Chris Jericho. It's always this thing, like, I should be more forgiving because when it comes good, it's fantastic. But my memory seems to extend more to the times when he screwed things up and I hate him. And we're, we're right back there. And I just, it's like making me like, I feel like that when Ricky Starts comes out because the, it's this. Not just now. Next week, the week after, the week after. And I'm done with it before. already. It's yeah. just, just I felt like really, it, there was a bit of doom around this match. I'm done with it already. Um, what they, There's patterns to the booking. It's 52 weeks per year. That's to be expected. You can't have this incredible original thought and a way to approach storytelling in the actual medium. The medium of pro wrestling, episodic TV in North America prevents that from being possible. So there are patterns, and they will go through these patterns. It's just how these things kind of have to work. You can do the best version of these patterns. Like this Danielson-MGF stuff, what a version of the pattern of MGF lines of challenges. This is such a unique twist on it, which we'll get to um, imminently. And it's a fantastic new approach to it, and we'll delve into why that is. This Jericho pattern of, well, you've got to beat all my henchmen and and derivations of matches, and then you get to meet the pay-per-view. So bored. I am so bored of this. You called it as well weeks ago. Yeah, it's just it's just it's so predictable at this point. Jericho can put his different funny words and enunciations and things, and it, he's still like he's still a champion. It's just a different catchphrase, and he badly needs a um, massive, massive reinvention. I thought the match was there. I tell you what, you did get a bit of elusive thought. The production didn't. If the production had a, if the director had a switch to the camera where you could have seen. Um, Daddy Ange's face when he just went over the table. I thought that was a really neat slapstick comedy spot. 
that accentuated what little action there was, which didn't outstay its welcome, mm-hmm. but just made all of this kind of inessential and superfluous. So this didn't need to exist. It was, I guess, fine when it existed. But my God, I really wish the direction for Revolution had nothing to do with Jericho and Starks. Yeah. Starks could have done something else, and I wish it was the Sex Gods versus the Acclaimed. I really wish it was. That in itself is just like a tremendous fantasy book in the type which like the Acclaim now need too, I think. the it ju- When Starks lost to MJF and it was like immediately he was back reheated with this incoming Jericho match, it was so cool because the feeling was Tony Khan's like broken one of, with his tradition. He's actually, you're not, you know, there was that worry that we're just not going to mm-hmm. see him for eight weeks and then momentum's lost. It's like, oh, nah, cool. Like, I, I wish we were in a timeline where like, what if he just beats Chris Jericho and instead Jericho's on a losing streak gimmick and Starks is off doing something else? Yeah. I feel so sad. That that's actually glued them together, and he leans on Guevara like, to get. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Like relying on yeah. Guevara, and then he can do stuff with Jericho and Guevara after Revolution. I just think that could have been a cool thing without being this like without like hitching them together for another pay per view cycle. Yeah. It didn't need to be what it's ended up being. I think it was great the, on its the own. The Jericho pay per view cycle has become a cliche. Yeah. It is working in a weird sort of way for me because whenever these sort of things happen, all I can think of is GFY. So <laughs> uh, let's talk about what it happened because there was an Adam Cole video package here. Oh my God. Just because I saw Adam Cole. Uh, and then Tony's backstage with Jericho, Garcia, and uh, Guevara. And he says, next week it's going to be Starks and Action Andretti against me and Sammy Guevara. But Garcia's like, no, I, I want to be in the team. And uh, Guevara's happy that he's, his protege has stepped up or whatever. Garcia's got Action Andretti on Rampage. And if he wins that, he can have Guevara's spot. Uh, Guevara pulls out some new leather trousers. How he had them ready for this announcement that Garcia... I don't know, regardless. Uh, and Jericho says, look, it doesn't matter if it's the Sex Gods or Garcia Cho. They're going to get theirs next week. Jerry Garcia. Oh my, yeah, that's so much better. Uh, it's the GFY guy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm never as bothered as Sidge about like the rules of wrestling and about the invisible camera and about like, well, Tony Khan's just booked that, has he? But like, who booked this rampage match? That was all very like, oh, yeah, no, you know, no. this tag match we've already speculated on. Should we put a rampage match first? Because we can, because we're the JAS, goddammit. Like, there. Yeah. Fits. It, it's them again. This has happened with the JAS before. The sports entertainment group are doing actual sports entertainment <laughs> rather than parodying it. They're like, they're following the tropes of it rather than yeah, just being yeah. a piss take of it. And there's now a better piss take of sports entertainment well-traveled in the women's division. There's a better version of that now yeah. Yeah. that was set up on this show that has knocked this into a cock hat. I am sick of it. I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you did Action Andretti, Ishii, some great actual banter last year. I will let it play. <laughs> ah, I can't be asked to let this one play out. I just can't. What was Jericho's 2020 like? Jericho's 2020, you had the really, really good story with Moxley. That was so detailed, was. so well plotted. Then you had Stadium Stampede, which was incredible. You had the Witch's Hat, which was incredible. Yes. Then you had Ugh, Mike Tyson, and you had that meh, Orange Cassidy. Oh, and then you yeah. had the MGF stuff on the Dibba Every single, apart from 2019, every single Chris Jericho year in AEW is wildly uneven. That's, I was looking for patterns, but in reality... Wildly uneven, where the peaks are genuinely transcendent, and the troughs are get-off-TV for three months. Yeah, There's no in-between with Jericho. If nothing else, he can't do a gentleman's three of anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, then we got Brian Danielson versus Bandido. This was good. Oh my God. Uh, oh my God. Danielson. Nice one by Busaiku Ni. Anything else you want me to say? Not so bad. No. Looking for like, like MJF appeared on the big screen. <laughs> no real high spots. I don't me. really know what to do here. I don't, you know, I'm finding it tough to tackle this one. Because you look at my note. I don't know whether to read really, it. It's still not going <laughs> to do. I've tried to write down everything. I've definitely missed stuff. And I, I try and paint a little picture. And I run through some of the big spots that happened. Just go and watch it. Just go and watch it and come back, and then we'll get your thoughts. Because you, you point out the high spots, people, but your fingers have been turned into bloody stumps trying to type them all out. Yeah, I mean, bonkers. This great. This is an absolutely incredible television match. Like absolutely incredible in ways that when I was watching, I was like, I'll articulate my thoughts on this later because I'm just so involved and immersed in what they're doing. The best, the best I can do to try and convey what this story of the match and the quality of the match is, which I consider my job, right, is that Brian Danielson has been saying for years that he wants to test himself in different countries, different disciplines, different styles, for the love of professional wrestling in all of its wonderful range, okay? Even when he was in media interviews, when you knew he was going to be paired with the same wrestlers in WWE TV um, that very week, he said, I wish I could wrestle Grand Metal League. It got to the point where he was almost, and considering how like acclaimed and raved he is in cold circles, he was almost annoying the most ardent, extremely online wrestling snobs because he was coming coming across as this deluded hippie. It's so funny that WWE thought, "I'll give you what you want," and the answer to that was, "We'll give you AJ Styles in the Performance Center." He's wrestled in Japan. He knows the style. You can you can have AJ. People you can was, have our American. People guy. were starting to genuinely think, "Oh, come on, you're just deluded. You're never going to get this. You're never going to get this." But he was insistent. Maybe it's just the an optimist in the hippie within. He's like, well, no, I don't wear Grand Metal League on SmackDown. You're not allowed. He's <laughs> not a star. They just you remember go... he wanted to open the third door before anybody had even built the house. Yeah, it was just like it was like 2017. He was like, so I'm thinking of uh, trying to get some New Japan stuff, and they go, well, keep thinking, pal. Yeah, it's yeah, not going to work. Not going to happen. <laughs> Bear in mind, he was becoming, he was alienating his most besotted hardcores. With this kind of delusional, quite frankly, chat of, I want to work Grand Metal League. Oh, I'd love to work um, a, I want to work in Arena Mexico. It's one of my big dreams. And it's like, well, leave. That's <laughs> yeah. the only way it's going to happen. He leaves. Tony Khan's a good booker. He wants to give you amazing things that you don't see every single week. So he gives you Danielson versus Bandito. And you know that Danielson has harbored this dream of working one of the best luchadors in the world in a match heavy on a luchador influence because he loves the range. I don't know how he did this, but the character, Brian Danielson, actually worked this match as if he was doing that. This didn't feel remotely plotted in any way. Mm. Obviously, they did things that are going to pop an audience. Obviously, they did things in this match that were very, very well thought out in that, for example, that incredible Bandito finish. They sold the danger of it, and Danielson backflipped out of it. A cool athletic spot and looked like smoke that he'd worked out his opponent, even though it was they were wrestling for the first time. So when deeper into the match, he actually hit it, you thought, well, that's it. Yeah. And what an achievement that was, by the way, because you know Danielson's going to win. This was so close and competitive that it was a work of art, given the wider storyline and the fact that that storyline rendered this result a bit predictable. Because I didn't feel it was predictable at all. This was one of those 
acclaimed Swerve in Our Glory matches where you're thinking, call the audible. Yeah. Like, look at how over Bandito yeah. is. I was thinking, maybe, maybe there is a twist in the story. Because we were saying there's something in the fact that the line of challenges ends the month before Revolution. So you're thinking, ooh, so what happens in the month before Revolution? I'm thinking they're going to call an audible here. This didn't feel remotely plotted in any way. And in fact, there were various fleeting, but the odd moment where they felt like they were kind of not quite on the same wavelength. It wasn't smooth and entirely cooperative, and it was immeasurably better as a result because it felt somehow, because he's such a goddamn genius, that Danielson was in fact wrestling Bandido in a shoot match that was also incredibly spectacular (laughs) and had these high spots that would never wrestle, uh, never happen in a real fight. It felt like he was wrestling Bandido in a match for which he had undertaken immense study and preparation and knew exactly how to deal with them, except when he didn't because he's Bandido and he's so spectacular. I know I'm rambling. I know I'm not really forming coherent thoughts. It felt like two people wrestling for real for the first time where all the preparation in the world can only get you so far because it's Bandido. How can you defend against what he can do? Jesus Christ, Bandido and Takeshita. Oh, what do you do with them? Who goes for a tertiary or a mid-card title first? They are both unbelievable. They have both improved this product immeasurably. And they're the new Ricky Starks in, well, don't not book them every single week. Why <laughs> yeah. wouldn't you? And it's, again, it's that kind of danger that you fall into. Darby Allen is going to do amazing things with that TNT title. Orange Cassidy's very over as champion. But the danger when you have such a stacked roster and you have matches like this and you encourage your wrestlers to go and express themselves in just classic masterpieces like this match was, is that if you have a TNT champion who kind of has a few off weeks, immediately think we'll strap a bandido. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, the greed is almost going to undo some of the better stuff in AEW because how can you not really, like, people like Ricky Starks, if there are fewer people like Takeshita and Bandido who are just doing incredible things on this roster, are people going to be kind of the Ricky Starks in this alternative reality? Alternate reality, sorry, where you haven't just got these immensely gifted wrestlers waiting in the wings. Because the second that, oh, Jericho and Ricky Starks having another predictable week, you're thinking, I'd rather see Bandido and Takeshita. Like, I don't know where I'm going with all of this, but no, there's book them. Book them, book them, book them every single week if you can, because Jesus Christ, they are amazing. There's a constant cursed by comparison problem in AEW. Yeah. And it's such a weird one. I like, it happened to Wardlow. Like, it happened to Wardlow last year. And the second he, that somebody else had an amazing week and he's had a bad one, you think, I'll oh, get rid of the TNT title off him. <laughs> and it's harsh. You feel And he was like, can't miss. Like, we've said this before about the scale between, like, and I'm somebody that obviously likes WWE loads like, more than AW's too good for its own good at times. But there are, like, there are times when, like, one of the worst things happening. Stark's a great example right now. The peak of the Stark Jericho thing probably came in the match itself. That story. Like Jericho was angling to work a program with Bandido and Takeshita as we speak on his off days. Yeah, like the stories at at point of Ricky Stark's thing we don't even really like would be one of the highlights of Raw right now. And like, it's not something that anybody has to worry about in WWE really. That can be the best thing. That can be a bloodline or a judgment day, but it's only ever really this one thing at a time. Mm. And then the rest, you're kind of looking for something good out of something not that great. You're looking for a fun Seth Rollins promo and a boring feud with Bobby Lashley, for example. It's the total opposite problem. In AEW, like it's it's a it's a perfect example in in this match in particular as relates to the main event. I thought the main event was absolutely tremendous, and we'll get to it. But he couldn't touch this. And if Bandido does work three or four weeks in a row, which you do kind of want to see, it does then create that knock on effect, and that's never going to change under this cycle as well. I, I don't know what the 
I don't know if you, there's a fix, but I don't know if there should be one. It's kind of it's the best meritocracy. Jim it's Ross. the best territory emulation model of if you can't do it, you knackered. Jim Ross would like it because he kind of set the attitude era up around that framework. He weren't the in ring wasn't on a par, but the promos were. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, "What have you got?" That's why Steve Austin got jealous of the Rocks. They're just going out there saying nursery rhymes because he's like, "Well, are they going to go off me?" Yeah. Like they how can, they can't go off me? There'll be wrestlers now that are wrestling. Things. Like Darby Allen doesn't have as as thrilling night of bandidos. They're not going to go off me. But then three more weeks, mm. they might. Like, that pressure cook is the sort of thing that certain people would really like. I completely uh, agree with the what was it? The moon salt avalanche fall away slam and the twenty one plex, whatever it is. And yeah. I was like, oh cool. Guess Danielson's not fighting MJF for the yeah. pay or they're going to do something. Even here. a Lahan Mahishral. Yeah. yeah, those trade-offs were just spellbinding. The two point nine, I thought that is it. Mm. There's, I tell you what, I loved about this. Um, the Danielson last week, I was wrong. By the way, last week I was saying like, ah, this booking thing is going to get in the way for me. This Danielson is the babyface, but then he kind of has to become situational heel potentially once a week against the likes of Andino. I'm wrong. He's just the best. He works. <laughs> it's, I don't even think it's a flaw now. It's what it's a feature, not a bug at this point, because you get the great match and then you get the outcome you want. And then you get the ultimate contrast between Danielson. Like, how is MJF going to beat this guy over an hour? Yeah. Danielson here, as a heel, worked like he was Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero when Worlds Collide, and it didn't feel remotely like... The thing with Bandido, I like Bandido a lot, but one of the reasons... Except significantly less racist. Yeah. One of the reasons I think, like... (laughs) Art Bar swam on the canvas. Oh, yeah, I don't mean that. I just mean in terms of, like, the in-ring and how, like, they had to, like, level up as, as, like, working heels. One of the things with Bandido... And I had it against, like, I had this a little bit against uh, Jonathan Gresham in the Ring of Honor unification match. Some wrestlers don't really work to his standard without it looking too cooperative and fake. And he does stuff's amazing. But, like, the all-in six-man, I know they had to go 100 miles an hour because of time constraints, but it sort of suited it, didn't it? You don't have time to take a breath. It's like, yeah. oh, my God, Bandidos are going crazy stuff, now somebody else is. When it's, like, locked into a singles match, it can feel a little bit, like, too cooperative for its own good, because it's like, well, you kind of need each other to pull that spot off. Danielson subverted that again. Like, there's no, he can't do nothing at all he can't do. And I was thinking, you know, is Bandido going to be all right without Char- Charvo Guerrero? But it turns out it's <laughs> quite interesting. <laughs> also, not to do work admin on the podcast, but is there a list in, uh, I don't know if this is the, even, even English, but 10 moves that AEW re-legitimatized a word because I'm thinking the dive out of the ring for Darby Allen, yeah, of course. Yeah. And I'm thinking this bloody uh stalling vertical suplex. Oh, it's impressive when Bobby Lashley does it, right? Obviously, it's impressive when anyone does it. When Bobby Lashley does it, I go, Yep, yeah, that's one of Bobby Lashley's moves. It's it's astonishing when someone like Bandido does it because like you did they teeter him over on purpose I, to get over yeah. how strong oh, he was to get a so back? Like you're on edge when he's doing it though. Either way, aren't you? That bit as well when they're in some impossible like larvae, larvae. I don't know. Sub- Mexican submission style. They're in this impossible like combination of grapple that you know it's completely bewildering and <laughs> bewitching to me. And Danielson. Sit-ups with no arms out of a pinning combination to headbutt band. It's just, that's that's pro wrestling magic. Pro wrestling when you're a child, you're meant to be in disbelief because you don't know it's fake. The best workers of this generation can make you feel that way, even though you're a 37-year-old husk of someone <laughs> who knew three decades ago that it wasn't on the up and up. <laughs> the fact that they can make you do the, how do you do that? <laughs> to quote Arrested Development is just, uh, uh, this was magical. So then, yeah, 
Danielson wins by Busaiku Ni. I'm not going to run through all the spots because it's take too long. Go and watch it. It's brilliant. Uh, and then MGF appears on the big screen and calls the fans fickle. Where have I heard that before? Uh, saying Danielson's been dealing with masked Max. Uh, but the closer they get to revolution, his mask is going to slip and come off more. Uh, not even a dragon is enough for the monster behind the mask. Um, and uh, he's well, he sets up what's about to happen backstage with uh, Brian Cage, the next opponent for Danielson. Should we talk about that here? Yeah, let's talk yeah. about that here, and then we can talk about the uh, Tony Storm, Soraya stuff altogether as well. Because later um, they announce, yeah, Brian Cage is the Brian Danielson's next opponent. Um, Renee Paquette, who hightailed it out of there quick when that slap got dropped by MJF. She's there with uh, Cage and, and Prince Nana, and MJF interrupts and, uh, you know, bigs up Brian Cage, and he's there. He's got this envelope full of cash, and he says, look, win, lose, or draw, I don't care. Just break Brian Danielson's arm. And uh, Brian Cage is like, yep, got it. MJF slaps the taste out of Brian Cage, and... Uh, Cage obviously reacts, grabs MJF by the throat, and Prince Nana's like, no, we're in the money uh, here, so don't do that. And MJF says, hey, there's no greater motivator than hate, so use that as a bit of motivation, eh? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The bit in the match where it was so, again, so organic, so subtle. Did did Danielson just jim his arm there? Did he just sort of, like, land on it awkwardly? Oh, yeah. And you're thinking... Don't get injured before this revolution match. And then it's just this incredibly subtle worked injury that's going to play a further part in the story. That was tremendous. MJF was obviously talking about himself, of the facade of the light-hearted, light-hearted, like, jester character. That's going to go away. I'm just having fun with that. But no, I know when to turn it on and be serious. And he mentioned, like, a masked man. Is a monster under a mask at some point going to wrestle Danielson as part of this trial series? Which MGF loves foreshadowing. Where it plays into, like, I thought Abyss. this... Who could it be? Abyss, Abyss. is a WWE Within road WWE agent. Oh, yeah. And he's... Uh, Isn't he AJ Styles' accountant or something? Brian his gimmick role for a bit. Brian and a free agent masked monster. It's got to be Kane. <laughs> Team Jeez. Hell No. Team Hell No. Law, actually. Oh, yeah. Imagine Kane and either. That would be... That would complete Sidgwick's Unholy Trinity. It would. Uh, Kane, Big Show and Mark Henry of course, in AW yeah. all at the same time. Well, roller coasters wrestling in WrestleMania, my, my longtime favorite, Cody Rhodes. <laughs> the, this was so good. MJF is. Black Taurus? Nice, yes. I love him. Not quite Kane, but good. <laughs> MJF is both like proactive and reactive. This is simultaneously like planting seeds for some stuff. It's laying out this feud getting very, very serious and very dark. And MJF's character now, as we know, is somebody that can go to can go to their police. Uh, but it's also, at the same time, taking a well-deserved shot at all of these idiots that are, like, it's so bizarre how they're actually genuinely criticising it for the stuff that he's working them into criticising about. It's one of them times when people lose sight of when they're being worked and when they're not. I don't like that about modern wrestling conversation. The fact that, like, because we all know a little bit more than we used to and maybe sometimes that we're supposed to, the idea that you shouldn't be willing and wanting to get worked by mm. a bad guy. There is absolutely nothing wrong in that. And yet the people that sometimes comment and commentate are just being worked and they're saying things like, oh, he's gotten really boring now and he's gotten really dreary and this is too light and whatever. The fact that you can use that and fold it 
seamlessly into foreshadowing and into yeah. like stuff that was clearly very planned and how far this would go before he was like, it's time to get serious now like, like they that, know the goddamn end of the story because they're telling it yeah like that's been the plan all along but now we can make it seem like he's reacting which only boils their piss even more it's like there he is again like he says he listens and he's listening to us and now we've fixed the MJF yeah, thing. No. You idiot arsehole. Yeah. Like it like I, I love that he can do that like so few others because the character even makes sense as well. Because he's a manipulative sociopath. Yeah. It's all brilliant. This. Um in between this, there was I'll say in the moment, a baffling backstage segment involving Soraya, Tony Storm, and Karashida that suddenly made so much more sense in about five minutes, because Soraya, Tony Storm, and Sheeta are there. Soraya's upset. They're like, what the bloody hell were you doing with that kendo stick last week? And Tony's like, hey, 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 hey. I told you all that Tony Storm was turning heel. It's this, it's this bloody AW homegrown talent. They're just not seasoned enough. Uh, and we'll show that stupid prick, Willow Nightingale. What? Tonight. Great uh, way to turn anybody instantly. Yeah, yeah, Willow yeah. Nightingale's a prick. You're a prick, mate. Yeah. Uh, we'll show what we've learned by not working in this company all the bloody time. Uh, and Saray's like, yeah, 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 okay, good. Yeah, we'll go out there and show her. Sheeta, you stay here. <laughs> Again, in retrospect, that you kind of guessed at the time. It was <clears throat> the laid it on thick last week. Saray screaming, it's my house. This is my house. About eight times during that match. It's right, you're turning heel. But the, the kind of the geniuses, maybe she is that detached from reality. <laughs> you just don't bloody know. But I knew this is where it was going. And it went somewhere. You haven't really done the recap yet, man. No, oh, yeah. Uh, so we had the Brian Cage thing, because I've messed all the order up here. Then we got Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale. Back and forth early on, but a very respectful back and forth. Nightingale's, you know, strong, quick. She hits a shoulder block, gets an arm drag, crossbody. She does a nice cartwheel off an Irish rip, whip, and they're like, oh, let's have a handshake. And then she slaps the taste out of Willow Nightingale's mouth, hip attack to the floor. Hikaru Shida comes out when we uh, are heading towards a break. When we come back, Nightingale hits a huge spine buster, drop kick off the second rope, but misses the corner cannonball. Um, Storm fires back, sweet sheet music, spinning DDT. Uh, that gets a two count. Uh, Nightingale fires back with a pounce, hits the corner cannonball this time, but then Soraya jumps off the a- jumps up on the apron, causes a distraction, and Storm rolls up below Nightingale with a big handful of tights and steals the win. Post-match, Soraya jumps in, starts kicking the crap out of Willow Nightingale. Um, Storm joins her, putting the boots to her heel turn, and Ruby Soho has to run in to make the save. While Sikara Shida's like, what is going on here? I love this direction for the AW Women's Division. Um, They got there via a match that was a bit underwhelming considering what the match graphic looked like, but it's pretext to this angle, so I guess it's fine. Um, this feels way more authentic to me than the big battle between pro wrestling and sports entertainment and the big like philosophical divide because you kind of know it has been revealed through the events of 2022 that all the people who just want, well, I just want to go and be a pro wrestler. It's like, oh, no, you'll go where the money is. So you can't, you can't convince me anymore. I was probably naive of us to expect that. They all just bloody want to go to AEW and cut unscripted promos. Maybe that was naive all along because they just want to go where the money is. And as soon as Vince isn't there and they they get a little bit less, the prospect of total career death and humiliation gets diminished somewhat, they'll go away from the cool, fashionable underground league and just go and get the payday. Miro is intimated through his wife that he wants to do it. Andrade certainly does. Malachi Black was on it. Um, 
So that became a way less convincing as a story beat as 2022 unfolded. However, all the gossip and innuendo was when Brawl Out was happening and lots of people were just letting truth slip because they were kind of disenchanted and the locker room was too big and these divides happened. One million percent real thing. There's going to be someone who stuck with AEW from the start or signed very early or is more synonymous with their work on the indie circuit outside of the WWE umbrella. If you've got some highfalutin fancy talking, Stamford, um, ex-hire, walking into the locker room, thinking they are a big star because of where they used to work, kind of not refu- like refusing to do jobs or doesn't want to work with such and such or isn't going to work as hard as they do, there is a divide in that locker room. And if there isn't, I would be astonished. And if there isn't, I can readily believe that there is anyway because that's, mm. this is how these things work. If someone came in from, like, a newspaper outlet and started working at What Culture, that'd obviously be very nice because I'm a nice guy. But if they started to really think that they were hot shit, I would think, who the f*** are you, <laughs> And that's exactly what's happening in that AEW locker room. <laughs> and they've folded it. Eh? Yeah, uh, we got a good breeze. Do you want a coffee? B, <laughs> who the f*** are you? <laughs> I'd be nice. <laughs> Different avenues. I'm always super nice to the new you starters. Are. You are. Hamflip will You're attest nice to, to that. Very nice to me when I start. Because there's nothing worse than feeling like you're excluded from the bubble or whatever. But that is a very, very convincing story beat. An extremely convincing story beat. And they are working with it. And it's just, it's all about suspension of disbelief. This one's very easy to suspend. Yeah, love this. Perico appreciation papiety <laughs> finished because this is such a like an authentic version of the story they've never really got around to telling. That idea that like subtext is WWE, but especially in the case of Tony Storm, it's more. They just don't have experience around the world. Like it's not explicitly a WWE thing so much as it is a AEW's this tiny little promotion, the tiny little bubble where everybody does the best. Whereas like, <laughs> out there in the real world. And like when you were younger, it was so patronizing when somebody would say, like Welcome to the real world, mate, or something like that, when, like, you're 17, 18, and you're trying to be a grown-up, but somebody's just, like, a couple of years older than you. Like, this is that. Like, Hikaru Shida gets to be patronised now, despite the fact that we, as fans, have seen, like, a really great body of work. AEW is not and has never been the little engine that could. If you're making it here, you're as good as making it anywhere. But for them to... Look at Cody Rhodes is going to WrestleMania. Yeah, for them to undercut that. I mean, they've just not got the experience. <laughs> this hair-ruffling heel gimmick is immediately fantastic. Totally relatable, totally believable. I was slightly gutted that Tony Storm is now having no choice but to be an on-screen heel when I just desperately want to cheer her. And, like, it's not her fault that Jamie Hayter got as over as she did. Yeah. But you would love to, like, chair her back to the AW title, and you're not going to get that now. But what this made me do, straight away, was fantasy book a scenario where, at some point, like, Saraya beats Sheeda, and they beat a couple of other people en route to Saraya versus... Jamie Hayter, who is finally, along with Britt Baker, allowed to be permitted as the out-and-out babyface. We said this, like, shades of grey thing with Britt. Mm-hmm. It's always awkward and slightly ill-fitting. Finally, they can just... Britt can cut that promo all she wants. They can be awesome babyfaces, and then Britt can turn on Hayter, screw her out the title, and then that's the turn. And to gift it to Saraya, of all people, like, how could you give the title to these people that don't even respect it? Well, it's because you got jealous of your best mate. That might not happen, but that's where my mind went straight away off one little turn and one little bit of dialogue. I'm like, Ooh. people's angles spiraling, like actual booking the women, like in the same way that you would have yeah. a division, mm. you believe as much as the men. People's minds are going places with this. They're trying to, uh, I've seen blood and guts matches get manifested. Yeah. I've seen people speculate as to who could join the f- ranks 
of these sort of entitled import characters. Soho is like a she's a bit of a, she's come out to help Will and Nightingale because they're an established friendship now. But in reality, she's kind of a floating vote here, isn't she? Yeah. Like, which way will mm. she? There's the, I think this is like a potentially very cool development. Uh, one last thing to do before we get to the main event, then. It's time to play the game. I don't want to punch down. I don't want to punch down on Samina anymore, man. And again, I'll force her to wrestle. Uh, we obviously haven't played the game properly this week. Hamlet was was not here yesterday, but more, more far more important than that, it just felt inappropriate to do something like this in the light of the passing of Jay Briscoe. But we picked a time, Sige, for for when we thought the only women's match on this show was going to take place. Well, actually, I've done this completely the wrong way. Uh, what's the name of the game, and what was the aim of the game that we normally play? The aim of the game, despite our optimistic expectation that this is a core nucleus of a program that can fold in lots of different women and maybe even take over more than one segment of television every Wednesday. Um, but until that actually happens, we have to be realistic. And the reality is that this women's division is a bit of an obligatory token. Can't not do it. Everyone will kick off. Afterthought, that's very formulaic. And it kind of happens in a vacuum on its own little spot on the show <laughs> just before the men. Don't worry, there'll be more men here after this. The island of irrelevancy. <laughs> yes, before this temporary diversion in order to accurately, with a harsh, shining glare, convey just how much of a token afterthought this women's division can too often be. We want to guess to the hour, minute, and second, the first note or the sting of the first women's athlete who comes out for the one match that happens in this division every Wednesday. And if we can get it right, we'll really, really nail just how token and patent and just there it always is in its own little place. Bless them. So that's the aim of the game. And the name of the game is. Well, this is late here night, and I'm thinking no water day. Um, so, yeah, we got this where they put it right just before the main event, uh, but we didn't anticipate quite the developments in the women's division. Uh, nevertheless, Hamlet, uh, we picked two times, and then we picked what was in between the okay. two times to pick the, the podcast uh, time that we've called for this week. And we went for one hour, 26 minutes, and 20 seconds. And this, or the first uh, music sting here, happened after one hour, 25 minutes, and 11 seconds. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what did I say? 126.30? It was 126.30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, and so we were one minute and 19 <laughs> seconds off, which isn't that far away, but we've been closer. We can do better. They should do better. And they should do better. Indeed. And they will, maybe. Yeah. So it's still one correct for one for you, one correct one for you, yeah. and big old nothing for me over here. <laughs> uh, Renee Paquette, <laughs> sorry, before the main event, is backstage with Kanosuke Takeshita, talking about his match with Brian Danielson. He talks about respecting Daniel so much, says something in Japanese, and she's like, what's that? And he just said, oh, it's just MJF's an arsehole. <laughs> his <laughs> laugh here, the comedic timing here was majestic. He knew exactly what he was doing as well because he went really intense and aggressive, and I was kind of scared of Takeshita. Takeshita's got this sort of, just loves being in America, incredibly enthusiastic, living out his dream, and he carries that around him. You take him seriously in the ring, 
But again, he knows. He's a worker. He's very intelligent. He knows I can't turn on the super serious side of myself yet because I haven't had my big push yet. I haven't had my major match yet. That will wait. That will come. Otherwise, if you don't build to these moments, you're just like Edge being intense every single week. <laughs> and it just means nothing and it descends into parody. So for him to really start, like, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. I want to get on his wrong side. Yeah. And then subvert it with the smiling. Nah, he's an asshole. Great comedic timing. Great knowing when to do something. And again, I've been an advocate, a campaigner for native language promos on Dynamite for people who don't speak English as their first language. And when it happens on those rare occasions, it's always amazing. So just do more of it. Yeah. Like Penta, speaking in Spanish, is terrifying. Yeah. It genuinely is. Mm. And he needs to do way more of it. Like, not to be cynical as well, but it looks good for your promotion. Like, it looks like your door is flung far wider open than American wrestling is typically permitted and it to be. And the so reality is, it is. Yeah, it, but it, it is. They don't yeah. show that enough, yeah. Uh, so it's main event time. Kashida, first AEW match, challenging Darby Allen for the TNT title. Excalibur uh, reads off Kashida's resume, his Wikipedia page, which is good because I didn't know who he was uh, at the start of this match because I'm a performative idiot on social media. Um, <laughs> Surely no one did this this time. He's been on NXT for like three years. I, d- I would not be surprised whatsoever if people are like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> he hasn't been on TV in America for a whole six months. <laughs> Never heard of him. Love jacket time, though. Uh, <laughs> great um, counters early on in this match. Kashida picks the ankle. Nice. I really love that spot. Um, Allen goes for a hip toss. Kashida flips out into a snap drop kick. Uh, goes for a baseball slide, does Kashida, but Allen ducks it and throws him into the rail- railing. Um, Kashida punts out the arm of uh, Darby Allen. He's targeting it throughout the match now, obviously, for the hoverboard lock. Uh, Darby Allen goes for a springing coffin drop, but Kashida catches him with a forearm strike. Darby Allen blocks the Pele kick, hits a code red, that gets him a near fall. Kashida goes to the outside, uh, and Darby Allen dives after him, but takes out his uh, his teammates, Kevin Knight and DKC, who were there. Um, Kashida hooks Darby Allen's arm, though, and hits a running slam to take us to a break. Uh, when we come back, Darby Allen fights back, manages to hit a scorpion death drop, but he can't capitalize because of the damage that's been done to his arm. Uh, they both get up. Darby Allen fires off slaps, and Kashida answers the lariat to the floor. Uh, they fight out there. Eventually, Kashida gets popped on a chair, and Darby Allen's going to hit the shotgun drop kick he did to Mike Bennett yeah. the other week. Uh, the thought that goes into all of this. The timing here was exceptional. So that's what we've seen he can do, obviously. And he comes off the top, and just, and he's in the perfect position, Kashida kicks the chair away, jumps, and catches Darby Allen midair so that when they land, and that was a sucky landing for Darby Allen, not that he's taken many of those, uh, he's straight into a cross-arm breaker by Kashida. Brilliant. Seamless. Yep. And not too cooperative either. No, it just looked like a smooth, the smoothest possible counter, but one that he would apply. Yeah. The one that he would have in that That's situation. This is great stuff. Um, Kashida, I think this is the point where Kashida gets back in the ring. Darby Allen has to beat the count, but he also is aware, oh, my arm's hanging off. So he has to just try and just get underneath the bottom rope to break the count and get back out of there. But Kashida gets in, puts him in a key lock, uh, almost a reverse throw off the top, goes to the hoverboard lock in again, but Darby Allen locks his hands. Uh, Kevin Knight's there with the Sting and uh, offers him the towel to throw it in, and he just dabs his forehead and chucks it into the crowd. Um, because he's got faith in his 
son, nephew. <laughs> anyway, Darby Allen powers up. Kushida goes to go for the submission again or sink it in even deeper. And Darby Allen counters it into the, is it called the Last Supper pin? Yeah, Last Supper. Uh, locks that in and gets the one, two, three, and a nice show of respect between the two men afterwards. As we go off the air, Excalibur has a lovely note dedicating this show to the late Jay Briscoe. Very, very good match. Don't think it quite reached great. Probably impossible to do that on a night in which Bandido Danielson happens. Mm. Um, the selling was incredible from Darby Allen. The last supper genuinely felt the idea was the Bret Hart of I'm done, I'm in significant pain, but I'm just so good at wrestling that I'll find a way to win because I'm Bret Hart. Like, that was the idea. Obviously, Darby Allen's not Bret Hart. But I thought the context of this match, where you really want to get Kushida over with reverence and respect, particularly given the New Japan relationship as, like, a, a killer and a legend in his field, I thought they measured this finish perfectly. That spot with the... Um, that we just talked about was tremendous mm. as well. Ultimately, though... Again, I don't know what the main event of this show is if it's not Danielson Bandido, which it can't be because there's storyline progression building off that. I don't think there was an actual natural main event for this show. Just loads of absolutely incredible. Yeah, we said there was at least four on the preview, didn't we? That could yeah, you could put I, in the main event spot, but wasn't it wasn't like we went. It's got to be that. Yeah, so they had to go with something. They went with this. I just think the style of match would have suited a different slot on the show. Um, maybe it was a sequencing problem. Maybe it just paled in comparison as everything else virtually would have in comparison to uh, Bandido Danielson, but wasn't a blow-away great main event. The heat necessarily wasn't there. Maybe it was a bit too intricate and intimate with the selling to really play out to the North American TV audience as a main event, but it was still very, very good. Mm. Like, almost incredibly well-worked at times. I absolutely love this. Like, I would liked it way more than Sage. Maybe I thought it was very, very, very good. Maybe it's because the crowd resembled some of my favourite like, WWE matches. Maybe I like because it was a bit heatless. So maybe I was like, oh, this is just like some, like, I'm raw. <laughs> I absolutely love this. I think, truthfully, right, like, my expectations were fairly low. I think people still hold Kushida as this four and three quarter star worker when I think he's been a three star one for years. That's because like, he's been in WWE for years. Only partly. I think, like, his best years are behind him. And I got so much more out of him here than I was expecting. And I never thought I would, like, in-ring, strictly in-ring, Christ almighty, I'm not going to suddenly start campaigning for more media studies projects on pay-per-views. I'm such a Darby Allen guy right now. Like, that guy is exactly where he needs to be. Nobody, nobody was going online and saying, uh, hey, like last year and the year before, hey, don't sleep on Darby Allen. Very obvious how good he was. But it did kind of feel like Tony Khan was sleeping on Darby Allen. And I'm so pleased that he's back where he is. Like, he is, like... He's a genius, I, I think. He kind of is. Like he's, I don't think he's working at next level because I think that level was always there. I think he was going badly underused by this company. Like That's selling. Bret Hart is a great comparison because that last supper, man, that's like that's getting like one-winged angel protection. You, you're beaten. If he hit, he doesn't go to it very often and it's part desperation, part opportunistic. Mm. But you beat, if, he, if he's got it, you, you, you're not good. And I just think that's like such an interesting thing for a character like Darby Allen to have when really he's a coffin drop, kill himself to kill you type wrestler. <laughs> yeah. Like to have that in his arsenal is one of the things that it puts him above just what you think he is. Like Danielson-esque, isn't it, in terms of he's got multiple yeah. ways he can beat you. Yeah. This wasn't the best Darby Allen match ever, but it was Darby Allen that, like, when this was special, it was Darby Allen that made it so. Mm. And I think, like, Kushida can, like, thank his lucky stars that he got this because I think this will, 
like this will improve his stock in whatever else he does because I don't I, I don't think there's a better match that you'll see from Kushida all year no matter where he wrestles and like I'm not digging him out particularly I just think like, he's getting on a bit now as well and he like put in some incredibly hard years in that very hard wear in New Japan style so it's not like he hasn't put his shift in I just don't think he's the guy that maybe his name reminds you of and Alan made it feel like that for me he got Levesque do you really think it's just as simple as that? <laughs> Don't just wind you up, mate. <laughs> Peach when he won the but WCW also, World yeah. Cup, I think. No, no. no. <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was, was pretty much the, you know, there's nowhere to, he's nowhere to go from there, but down. So. <laughs> like Darby, he's entered like quite special territory. I think like the Joe, the Joe feud was there, like lighting the touch paper again, and Darby Allen could like ride this TNT title run into like not failing upwards. That's the wrong term, but putting himself right yes. there as like world title contender yeah. when this run is done. Well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Will... Will Bourne. I was saying that because I'm looking at the lovely Adam Blair who does all the, the statistics, the information, the... Uh, Data. For Ladies Night. Obviously, no need to update us on that this week, but uh, shout out to him as always. Adam Blair at Adam Wilton 4 if you want to go and follow him on there. Follow us all at What Culture WWE, as I said, though. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, tomorrow, me and Sige previewing AEW Rampage. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to (laughs) pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.